Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. Good morning, Healing Place Church. How are you? Come on, if you love Jesus, say I do. If you believe that he is alive and at work and working today, say he is. Well, it is my honor to be with you, and uh, I love you. I love this church. I love what God is doing. I love everything about it. It's amazing. Uh, it's such an honor to be here. You guys have such an amazing uh, work to, with young people. It's so cool. Uh, we had a great time this week. I want to just quickly just honor uh, Pastor Mike and Rachel. I love you guys. Thank you so much for having me. What an honor to be here. You're incredible. I like you, I love you, I look like you. One day, in faith, baby, come on, I'm gonna grow six inches and some guns, and uh, I'm just grateful uh, for you and your influence on my life. And uh, I, I love the way that your pastors love the next generation. You guys have a talented and gifted bunch of uh, youth pastors and young leaders, so let's give it up for Pastor Bird, Pastor Paul Musso, Pastor Paul, man. We had a powerful time here this week, and uh, it was awesome. I can't believe what God is doing uh, just with your church and then your impact on other churches as well. There's lots of guest churches that came, want to be a part of what God's doing in this house, which demonstrates not only what you're doing here, but your influence uh, in the region. And so it's just awesome. And so it's, it's an honor to be here. I love this house. I'm so uh, excited about what God's going to do today. Um, I'm uh, from Kansas City. I've got a beautiful wife named Renata and four kids. And I think they've got a picture. I just want you to see them real quick. Ki my kids' names are Dawson, Olivia, Adeline, and Justice. And so there's my family right there. Uh, I'm standing on my tiptoes right there. You can't tell, but I am. I've got my boy Dawson with me. He's 15. Dawson, you want to stand real quick? This is my son, Dawson. He is so handsome and looks like his mommy. And so, uh, <laughs> hey, if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 17. We're going to talk about prayer today. Uh, go to Exodus chapter 17. So uh, excited to see what God's going to do today. Uh, just love you, love you, love you. So good. Exodus 17, let's pray together and then um, we'll go. Father, we love you today. And Lord, we thank you for what you're doing at Healing Place. I thank you for what you're doing uh, among young people, but I thank you for what you're doing in this church. Thank you for how healthy it is, the spiritual vibrancy as we worship. Thank you, Lord God, for the expectation of what you're gonna do uh, today and in the future. And God, we do ask that today there would be a supernatural work. God, beyond words, beyond song, song, lights, God, we ask for the supernatural work of God in our midst. We pray that as we leave here today, that we would be different. Mark our lives today. We honor you. We love you. Open your word to our hearts. We pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in Jesus' name. And all of Healing Place said amen. My parents had the shock of their lives in 1976. They'd been married for eight years. They wanted to have a child. Uh, but uh, my, my parents uh, found out in 1976 that they were having triplets. And so uh, any twins in the house? Twins, you hear? Twins? Nope, no. Nope. There's one. All right. Well, uh, triplets. We got any triplets? All right. I don't see a triplet. Uh, I'm a triplet. And so... Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's like the biggest thing I've ever accomplished. And uh, <laughs> uh, 
but uh, my, my mom and dad were expecting to have twins and uh, I was born, then my sister Dana was born. And after Dana was born, the doctor looked at my mom who had been in labor for 81 hours and said, hey, would you be all right if, if, uh, they, if we pulled out another baby? And she almost died and uh, no joke. And um, so my parents uh, were a little bit shocked to have David, Dana, and Deborah. And then five years later, my brother Dan, my mom's name is Debbie, and my dad's name is Hal. And uh, <laughs> so my dad, uh, my dad made this decision. Some of you are like, I don't even know. I didn't even know what a triplet was. It's the equivalent of being born in a litter. That's all it is. Um, in fact, my parents didn't know how to drive us around. We were born in New Jersey in the 70s. And so they just put us in a cardboard box and would drive us around. And they would take us into restaurants in a cardboard box. And people would walk up to see the puppies and surprise, ha ah, there's people in there. And... <laughs> but my dad's a pastor and my dad made a decision. He was going to disciple his kids. And so he felt like if Jesus had Peter, James, and John, uh, that God gave him David, Dana, and Deborah. And so he made this decision to disciple his kids. And the methodology that he chose was to spend an hour a week with each one systematically discipling his kids. And so that started when I was about six years old. And so every, uh, each one of us had a day with him. And so my mom had a day uh, where she had a date night, Monday night. And then, day, then my day, David day was Tuesday day. Uh, Deborah's date was on Wednesday, Dana on Thursday, Dan on Friday. And each of us had a time alone with my dad. So that when I was in the seventh grade, I had really the worst year of my life. I went through uh, a season of being bullied. And there was one student who was by far the worst. Uh, went to a public school. We, by, by then we lived in Oklahoma City. And he just began to, I mean, throw me in lockers. It was a big public junior high. And uh, I just went through a real physical bullying process. I was actually four foot four in the seventh grade. And my sisters were a head taller than I was. And, and I just went through a season where we had just moved and I didn't have any friends. And so relationally it was hard, physically it was hard. And I went through the most challenging season of my life. And it was during that season that my dad leaned in close. And because he had such relational equity of spending an hour with me every Tuesday night, all throughout my elementary years, that then in seventh grade, it was really the opportunity to help disciple me. And I'll never forget uh, seventh grade, I began to unload on him in our Tuesday time about my frustration and my pain about this one young man who was the, the leader, really the source of this group of people, that, of this group of guys that were, that were kind of picking on me. And, and so my dad, as a, when I'm in seventh grade, he looks at me and he says, David, we're sitting in a station wagon, awkward, uh, in the early 90s, 1989, and uh, late 80s. Sorry, not good at math. Uh, late 80s. And uh, we're, we're sitting there and we're sitting at a Sonic and he says, David, what does Jesus tell us to do for our enemies? And I said, love them. And he said, what else? I said, pray for them. He said, David, are you a disciple of Jesus? I said, yes, yes, yes. And he said, what do you think you and I ought to do? What ought our response be to this kid that you can't stand? Because I would just unload. Ah! And I would tell him of my pain. And so we began to pray for this kid on Tuesday nights. 
and uh, finished seventh grade. Summer came, eighth grade started. And in my uh, school, there was six one-hour classes and it was such a big school that it would be extremely rare to have a class twice with the same kid. And I went to the first day of eighth grade and this kid was not in two of my class. I didn't have anybody that was in three except him. He was in three of my six classes. And I went to my dad on our first Tuesday night time and I said, you dad, you're not gonna believe this, but his name is, he's, he's in three of my six classes. And my dad looked at me and he smiled and he said, what do you think's happening? And I said, judgment. <laughs> he said, David, God is at work. And I said, God hates me. I went to school the next day and uh, this kid had gotten a schedule change and no longer was he in three of my classes. He had gotten a schedule change and now he was in four. (laughs) And the additional class was fifth hour drama class. And in week two of eighth grade, the drama teacher divided us up into twos and said, I want you to perform in front of the class next in three weeks. And here is your partner and I had to do a humorous duet as an eighth grader with the very kid that I hated so much but had been praying for all through seventh grade and and I just remember coming back and telling my dad he's now in four of my classes my dad got teary and I just had this father that looked at me and said could you believe with me that God is at work in the midst of what you think is terrible and hard could it be that there's supernatural activity going on And, and we became friends and And in December of that year, uh, he ended up staying over at my house and it was about midnight where he looked at me and this kid who had been my biggest enemy and we were opposites. I mean, he was a free safety on the football team. He was varsity and I was not. Um, (laughs) I I had a mullet and braces and four foot six mm, and uh, sang tenor and uh, and uh, I didn't hit puberty till, I don't know, college. But, um, but he looked at me and he said, he began to ask me questions about why I was different. And, and then he, he just said, he said, listen, I know, I, I know, I know that you're a, a follower of God. And he said, I just, I just want to know, how do, how do I get in on that? And it, it, was, it, was, it was right there in December of my eighth grade year about midnight where I just, because I was a preacher's kid and I knew what to say, I just began to tell him about what it meant to follow Jesus. He gave his life to Christ. And, and, then, and, then, and then we went back and, and we started prayer meetings in ninth grade on our, on our junior high campus and ended up every single morning growing from five kids to about 250 kids. And, and we saw this move of God in our school. And yeah. <clears throat> And I tell you that story because, because this morning I want to talk to you about prayer and, and often comes the question, where, where, where did you get this conviction? And of course our conviction is formed in the word of God, but there's something that took place inside of me where deep in my bones, I began to believe that prayer matters as a seventh grader, as an eighth grader, or, or, I, or I started to see that God hears And and there might be a lot of people that would look at a scenario where that kid showed up in my classes in eighth grade as a coincidence. 
But I'll never forget my father having great confidence that God was at work. William Temple said, when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I stop praying, the coincidences stop happening. I just want us today to just be refreshed on this vision. What would happen if in every part of our lives, in our marriage, among our families, our church, the people that we can't stand, our dream to touch the city, the nation, the nations of the world, if our first response is, I'm gonna come before God and I'm gonna ask and I'm gonna believe and I'm gonna pray and cry out to God and go to him first. I'll never forget a pastor coming, a missionary coming to our church in 2004. And he was serving in the 1040 window, which is an area of the world that is the darkest in in terms of the least amount of churches, the least amount of followers of Jesus, most amount of non-believing people. And he looked at us and he, he showed how there was a prayer movement that took place in the 90s. And he said, here's how many churches in America and around the world were a part of this prayer movement. And he showed us a graph about how the work that he was a part of in the 1040 window enabled them to meet people and help them come to know Jesus and plant more churches. And, and then he said that the, the prayer movement stopped in the year 2000. And then he showed a dip in their, the, the dip in the prayers being prayed by the churches and a dip in the work of God. And he showed how the amount of salvations had decreased and the amount of churches being planted. And then he was in his 60s and I just never forget him looking at a room full of people. And he, he said, hey, listen, I'm a practitioner more than I am a theologian, but I've spent my life serving in the darkest regions of the world. And here's what I do know. When you pray, God does stuff. And I remember it just marking my heart and my life. And my hope today is that as we leave here, that we would have a greater conviction and a fresh reminder that when we pray, God does stuff, that God is at work and that our first response would be, I'm gonna go to God and I'm gonna do what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 7, where he says, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open to you for everyone. And if you can catch that word, everyone. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, the doors open. And the enemy will come along and try to get you to believe that that is not true. But oh, to get the strength to come back and go, though I may not see it the way I want to see it, though things don't turn out exactly like I'd hoped or I wanted, I believe this, that in the economy of God, in his divine wisdom, every single time I pray, God is at work. Every time that I decide to push away the plate, every time that I decide to give up on some television or some internet and cry out to God, whether it's the men's prayer meeting at the business on Tuesday morning, or whether it's first prayer, or whether it's 21 days of prayer, or whether it's a small group, or whether it's gathering with your little kids and teaching them how to cry out to God. Every time that you make that investment, you're going, I'm investing in the things of God and God is at work when I pray. This morning, I just want to kind of be that guy that comes in and says something that I think deep in our bones we believe, but the evidence on if we believe it comes out in how we live. And so if it's really this deep conviction, what would happen if today we had a fresh reminder of how can I reorganize my life to come before God in a consistent way in my own devotional life with my family, in my marriage, with my church, with my small group, and come and believe and press and knock on the door of heaven and 
seek God. And that's my dream. I love, I love the, the famous British preacher, Charles Spurgeon. Preachers wanted to be like him in his day. And so they wanted a church like his. Then they thought maybe if I preach like him, then our church will become like his church. But Spurgeon, when visiting pastors would come to see his church, would take them to the basement where the prayer meeting took place and would say this right here, this is the powerhouse of the church. And I wanna invite you, right now I'm in a season of planting a church, right now you're in a season of reaching your city and planting campuses and doing conferences for young people and filling up buses where you're going to serve the city. And all these things that we're doing are beautiful and amazing, but right at the center is this, This is not our activity. This is God's activity. This is when we pray, we gain God's heart. God begins to download his heart as we cry out to him. And so in all of our getting and all of our doing, let's not give up on that central powerhouse call to pray, to seek God and to come before him and say, God, I'm giving you everything. My hero is John Wesley. John Wesley used to say, prayer is where the action is. What would happen if we believe that in our bones? I'll never forget in those seventh seventh grade years, going through all that pain and coming and every Tuesday talking with my dad, that year is the year that changed my life. In some way I've been involved in student ministry since honestly, while I was still a teenager, since about 1993. Ever since then, I've I've been connecting with teenagers and you wanna know why? Because in that year, God changed me through a dad that was committed to discipling me and I'll never forget one day I was, I, was, I was just, I mean, crying, just like broken. And we were in the dining room of our house and I was just starting to just kind of well up and tell my dad of the pain and the hurt. And uh, my dad looked at me and he got down on one knee so that he could talk to his teenager eyeball to eyeball. And he began to talk to me about my pain. And he said, David, David, depending on your response to this circumstance, you'll either become a rebel or you'll become a John Wesley. He said, this pain you're experiencing right now, if you'll go to God instead of from God, God will be at work in your life. And he said, I do not know exactly how God will use this or God will use you, but this I know. If you'll run to God in this moment, you'll become a John Wesley. So I began to walk my campus, seventh grade, just literally saying to myself, I'm a John Wesley, I'm a John Wesley, I'm a John Wesley. About three days later, I came up to my dad and said, hey dad, by the way, who on earth is John Wesley? John Wesley said, prayer's where the action is. Imagine if that wasn't a sweet statement said in a sermon or a quote from a preacher from yesteryear, but was your testimony. No, prayer is where the action is. More action, more excitement, more thrill, more fascination than Netflix, than sports. No, 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 what what if if it wasn't just cultural? What if deep in your bones you believed it? What if, the, what if our, my greatest honor is I get the privilege of coming before God, the God of the universe and the dignity that I possess, taking my weak, broken, dull heart 
setting it before the bonfire of God's love, who is omniscient, who knows all things. He is omnipotent. He possesses all power. And somehow he takes the prayers of you and me, just broken people, and we come before him and we just say back to him what he already knows, but we're standing in agreement. And it's a way of saying what you want, your kingdom come, your will be done. Imagine the dignity that you possess by virtue of being able to be an intercessor. And the fun thing about prayer is that you don't have to be the best looking to pray. You don't have to be the most skilled to pray. You don't have to be the tallest to pray. You don't have to be able to hit a golf ball to pray. You don't have to have any of those skills and weak you in whatever situation you're in, whatever your body is like, whatever your intellect is like, whatever relationships you have. And we have this promise that you can come before God with whatever you have and pray and your prayers make a difference in eternity. And that takes great faith to believe that because we want to see it right now. And we want to see it happen the way that we want it to happen. But there's this moment where if you say, God, God, why didn't you do the things that I prayed? Why didn't my prayers get answered? Imagine that moment, Revelation 19, it says that we stand before him and say, and we're all going to cry out, hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. In other words, you're not going to look at God and go, ah, you didn't hear my prayers. I think you'll look back at human history and we'll all go, hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Omnipotent, all powerful. God, you said that every prayer was heard. Every prayer was used. It didn't turn out the way that I thought. And can you imagine looking back and you look back at human history and you won't go, see God, you messed up. No, you're going to join all of creation and go, ha, 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 hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. You really are awesome. You really were working. You really did use the prayers of weak people. And God, when I was praying as a seventh grader, you used that prayer to affect that and that. And it wasn't what I thought or what I thought, but what I wanted, but, but you were at work. You, you really used the prayers of the saints to advance your kingdom. And look at that. No. You are awesome. You go, thank you. You go, no, 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 God. If, if I could have known then what I see now when I'm crying out with creation going, you're at work, you orchestrated human history with wisdom. I might have I given myself to prayer. And he'll say, no, 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 I told you to pray. Do you remember I said, ask, seek, knock. And I said, everyone who asks, yeah, but God, I couldn't figure it out. Like I couldn't intellectually wrap my mind around how the sovereign God of the universe gave say so to human beings. And he'll look at you and he'll say, did I call you to understand it or did I call you to do it? Oh, but God, I'm super smart. You know, I'm a really, I started my own business. And I mean, I, I finished high school. I'm a smart guy. You go, no, no, no. I called you to come and pray like a child. The metaphor that he uses, the illustration that he uses is come to me and pray like a child. I don't want to pray like a child because I want to be in control and I want to respect ah, me. me. Just, this isn't about you. This is about me. I'm at work and we'll stand before him one day and we will have no thoughts of going, you know, God, you really, you really weren't at work. We will look back and we'll go that whole time. Every time we cried out to God, Jesus, that sermon on the Mount thing, that turned out to be true. Yeah. Wow, ha, ah, ha, you are awesome. Hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. You really are the God of the universe. I wanna invite you to just dream with me. 
What happens when you get deep in your bones? I'm gonna be a praying person. I'm gonna give myself to prayer. Matthew Henry said, whenever God is about to do something truly great, he first sets his people a praying. I want you to imagine you walking out of this beautiful service today and gaining a new vision or, a, or, or refreshing the vision that's already in your heart to be a man or a woman of prayer, to be a young person of prayer. What does it look like in your context, in your life, at your business, on your campus? What does it look like in your family gathering together? Right now I'm in the phase where I've got kids that are, I mean, 15, 13, 11, and nine. And my big dream is to be a praying family. My big dream is that in these days that there's this, we're gonna be a people where right at the center of our family is we're gonna seek God together. And the temptation is to get so caught up in the American dream that you lose sight of the Jesus dream and what he has on your family. And what has he called your family to be? What, 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 what's he, how's he called you to lead a small group? I love the small groups video a moment ago because if you'll place Jesus right at the center and start a little group before, before business, during lunch, yeah, but David, I work here and that's not really the culture. No, 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 you create the culture. No, no, we're gonna create a prayer culture right here at this corporation, at this, at this university. You get this vision. If I'm gonna get anything, I'm gonna come before God and I'm gonna ask and I'm gonna seek and I'm gonna knock. And one of the things that marked the early church was prayer. Look at this. We're just gonna go through the book of Acts. Can we read through the book of Acts this morning? Are you okay with that? Let's just read the whole thing. You ready? We're gonna be done at about six o'clock tonight. Everybody good? Okay. All right, here's the deal. When you see the word prayer, we're gonna throw them up, the, these scriptures up on the screen. When you see the word prayer, I'd like you to scream at me like this is a youth conference. I know that you're dignified and you're cool because you're you know, not a teenager, but you know what? I'm not a teenager either and I'm screaming and so let's do this. All right, here we go. Acts chapter one, verse 14. Look at this. This is just looking at what distinguished one of the marks. I'm not saying the only mark, but one of the marks of the early church. Acts chapter one, verse 14. They all joined together constantly in that was really weak. Let's try that again. They all joined together constantly in? Prayer. That was awesome. Acts 1, 24. Then they? Prayer. Let's try that again. Then they? Prayer. Okay, let's get these up on the screen. If you, if you can roll with me, I'm gonna go really fast. Here we go. Acts chapter two, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to? Prayer. And to? I mean, I want a little bit more. I'm talking like, drink yourself some caffeine, get your, but let's just go. Here we go. And two. That was awesome. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of. Oh, this is awesome. Acts 4.24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in. Acts 4.31, after they. Acts 6.4. Excited? We're going to do this all day. Here we go. And Acts 6.4, and we will give our attention to. Acts 6.6, 6, they presented themselves, they presented these men to the apostles who. Acts 7.59, while they were stoning him, Stephen. Acts 8.15, when they arrived, they. Acts 8.22, repent of this wickedness and. Acts 8.24, Simon, then then Simon answered. Acts 9.11, the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is. Starting to fade. Come on, let's get this prayer movement going. Like, I thought you were supposed to preach the sermon. Now we all preaching today. All right. Acts 9, 40. Peter sent them all, all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and... Praise. Yes, that was amazing. Way to go. Acts 10, 2. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generosity to those in need and... Praise. Acts 10, 5. The angel answered, your... 
We're almost done. Come on, breathe in. Here we go. You can do this. Finish strong. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof too. Two more. Cornelius answered, Acts 10, 30. Four days ago, I was in my house. Last one. Make this your best one. Acts 10, 31. And said, Cornelius, God has heard your. There you go. Yeah, give yourself a hand. Good job. So in the first 10 chapters of Acts, I just want you to see there's a whole lot of prayer going on. So this is not just like some kind of dreamy idea. I want to invite you to begin to ask God. What does it look like for me to being a praying man or woman in my own life, in my context, my family, my church, my business, what have you called me to? Last scripture, let's go to Exodus chapter 17 because there's this great picture in the Old Testament that I see God at work while people are in the battle. And I love this picture because you and I, we live in a spiritual battle. And the reality is that God is at work, but you and I have a role to play. And I want you just to see the way that God is at work in the midst of the battle. Exodus chapter 17, verse eight. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. First thing I want you to see I want you to see the dependence on God. Here is Moses going to the top of the mountain with Aaron and her. And the interesting about this story is that you've got Joshua and the army of God, the Israelites, they're actually in the battle. So their life could be lost. It's a very real physical battle that's really taking place. But in the midst of the battle, The victory was dependent on a statement of dependence on God by Moses. So if you can imagine it, when Aaron and her have their hand, have Moses, are holding up Moses's arms, victory is taking place in the battle. When their hands go down, they begin to lose to the Amalekites, arms up. Israelites win, arms down, Amalekites start to win. Imagine if you are in that battle and you're one of Joshua's soldiers and you're fighting. I don't know how you do it, but you know, like you're really fighting. And if you're fighting in that battle, the eagerness, the longing, the dependence, the sheer logic of not, hey, This battle depends on the strength of our muscle, of our sword, of our spear. If you know the variables in the equation and you've started to pick up on, hey, when Moses' hands go up because Aaron and her are holding up his arms, when his hands are up, we are winning. When his hands go down, we are losing. 
when that locks in as a warrior, here's the one cry in your heart. Get those hands up. Hey, we need God in the battle. Aaron, her, her, him, her, the man, you. Get his hands up. We need God more than we need anything. If we have God at work, when his hands go up, it does not matter if the warrior next to me is talented and can bench a lot, or if he is not so much, or the strength of the sword. What matters is God is at work. And if God is at work, we gain victory. And if your arms are down and you are not dependent on God and you are saying, you know what, we got this. We can handle the Amalekites on our own. Then God is going, okay, let's watch, let's see. Here's what we do is in prayer. Every time before we come before God and we're saying, God, have your way, have your way. We're lifting up the arms of Moses again. It's not our strength. It's not what we can do. We trust and we are totally dependent on you, God. We need you. It's not our programs. It's not our TVs. It's not. It's we need God. We need you more than anything. And it's the holy dependence on God saying, God, I, it is not my strength on my own. I am weak and broken. Even with my brothers and sisters, I'm not that strong. But when I am crying out to you and you're at work in the battle, whoo, we have supernatural help from heaven. I want to invite you just to ask the question, what does it look like for me to depend on God? And just to ask, and I know this is not the American way. The American way is to learn to strut. What's up? Come on, look, I got this, I got this, I can do this. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. I'm an American, independence. But the Jesus way is dependence. It's not to strut, it's to lean. God, I need you. I'm broken, I'm weak, I need you, God. So have your way, God, have your way in my family. God, have your way in my church. God, have your way in my job. God, have your way. God, I need you. And the coincidences start to happen. And all the cynics look and say, ah, just coincidence, coincidence. But if deep in your bones, you've been praying, you go, I seem to notice that when I cry out to God in prayer, the coincidences increase. I see God at work. And there could be a whole lot of people when I was in the eighth grade that would have said, ah, chance. Just chance that kid ended up in your class. Just chance. But I had a praying father. I had a dad that taught me to cry out to God. And as an eighth grader, I remember going, ay, 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 ay. When we pray, God does stuff. And it's hard, it's hard to live dependent on him instead of independent, but it's the Jesus way. It's the Christian way. You actually, oh, the dignity, if you can imagine, the dignity that you possess by coming before God and having spiritual say-so. What if we believe? Prayer's where the action's at. Watchman Nee said, Satan's strategy is to put everything related to the Lord before prayer and make prayer the least important matter. We want to switch that. We want to say, God, we're dependent. We're asking. We want you. Charles Spurgeon said, whether we like it or not, asking is the way of the kingdom. Asking, yeah, but I don't want to ask. Jesus invites you. Come, trust me. Not your own strength, my strength. And the other thing I see in this text here is 
prayer, it, it activates the hand of God. When the arms are up, God's at work. And I know that if, you, if we were running our own way, we might do things differently, but there's something about God where he says, I wanna do this with you. So come before me and pray. And when you pray, you'll see an increase of God, God's work. Sometimes it might not be the way that you want, but one day in eternity, you'll know God heard every prayer, every whisper, every cry. Scripture says that he knows the hair on your head. Like sometimes when I read that, I think like, who cares how many hairs are on your head? Like it's, it's just a weird number. Like nobody really even, but he does. If he knows the, the hairs on your head, how much more does he hear every prayer when he's commanded us to pray? Every time you whisper, every time you scream, every time you, you just pray while you're driving and you shut off ESPN radio and say, I got 25 minutes. I'm giving this to God. And in eternity, whoo, we'll see this. I'm not shaming anything. I'm just giving you the privilege. If you, could, if you could rewire and reframe and just begin to see, oh, this is my greatest invitation. Oh God, I want you. I'm dependent. I'm totally dependent on you. When I pray, God works. And the last one is just this. I think it's intriguing that in the story, not only is God at work when the hands are up, but that Moses' hands grow tired. And I think a lot of us get tired. I think a lot of us, when it comes to prayer, we just kind of go, you know what? I believed that two decades ago. I gave myself to prayer in the eighties, but I'm kind of burnt out, kind of tired. This morning, I just want to be just <laughs> your crazy cousin from Kansas city that comes in and just goes, remember this. He hears every prayer. Every prayer makes a difference. Refuse to quit, keep praying. There's something in the heart of God that he rewards persistence. When we pray and we don't give up, he told a parable in Luke 18 that we might always pray and not give up. Jesus responded to people that refused to, to quit coming after him. The lady in Matthew 15, where she just keeps asking and he says, no, no. And the third time, finally, he goes, your desire has been granted. There was something about this lady that just kept asking that he finally goes, deal. There's something in the heart of God. There's something in the heart of God that when Bartimaeus, the blind man, is screaming at the top of his lungs, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. In Mark's gospel, that Jesus stops and says, call him. Can you imagine all the parade of others that just let Jesus go by, but there was a spiritual hunger in the heart of Bartimaeus where he just cried out. And the scripture says that people told him to be quiet. And when they told him to be quiet, Bartimaeus shouted all the more. Imagine inside of us, they'll, they'll say the same to you. You're gonna go to that Tuesday night prayer meeting again. You're gonna skip Dairy Queen to fast and pray at lunch with your friends again. Stop it. You're crazy. And all you do is you go, I'm gonna shout all the more. Come on, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. God, I need you. Refuse to, refuse to be denied. Just keep asking, keep believing. And don't give up on gathering with the saints and crying out. I wanna invite you to just see prayer today. This is my privilege. This is my opportunity. And when I pray, God does stuff. It is the, one of the greatest dignifying things I have in my life 
is I get to be this man, this woman that walks with God. And maybe sometimes on planet earth, we see some of the breakthroughs, some of the moments we see when we go, hallelujah. Some of them in eternity will go, I, you were working God. You are awesome. You were at work the whole time and you use the prayers of the saints. Amen. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.